Good afternoon, everyone. I'm used to saying good morning. We meet at 10.30 on the coast. Um, yeah, really fantastic to be back here and grew up coming to meetings here at the Vogue. Um, so it's got a lot of fond memories and a lot of familiar faces, which is good. Dave, I'm watching you down there, my Sunday school teacher. Um, all right, um, Katie, in her testimony, mentioned about her healing. And, um, you know, just to add to that, uh, when Katie had her breakdown, uh, she couldn't finish her HSC, her year 12. And then many years later on in life, and we had two kids, and she wanted to go back and study. And if you knew her here and wondering, maybe she just felt a little better after she was prayed for or... Um, you know, it was just a change, mind over matter, those sort of things. One of the most remarkable things I've seen in my life is seeing her healed and the change that God brought within her. And then she went back to study and do honours and she won the faculty medal and the university medal for her study. And then she got up and she got to, you know, speak on behalf of the entire university cohort and she testified about how she was healed by the power of God. And you know when people stand and they clap and they just don't stop clapping? That's what it was like. All these university graduates, I don't know how many of them believed in God, but they heard something that night that convinced them and I hope you hear and see things that convince you today because Jesus Christ is alive and he's powerful. Amen? Amen. So, you probably haven't heard of it, but there's a publication called the New York Times. Just a small one. Um, and there was an opinion piece, and I want to just, just share a few things. A, a guy there, Jonathan Merritt, I don't know him. I know he's the son of a prominent Pentecostal preacher. But he wrote this opinion piece, and I want to focus more on what he said than obviously on him. But he said... More than 70% of Americans identify as Christian, but you wouldn't know it from listening to them. He said, in New York, as much as of America, work often takes precedence over worship. Social lives are prioritized over spiritual disciplines, and most people save their Sunday best clothing for Monday to Friday. While many of our most visible leaders claim to be religious, their moral frameworks seem unrecognizable to masses of other believers. And he poses a question and says, how do we speak about God in times like these when God is hard to spot? And as I'm reading through this article, I'm going, asking myself questions like, how easy is it for someone to spot God in my life? You know, I often say to parents, if you want to find out how good your prayer life is, ask your kids. Because they'll go, oh, yep, mum and dad are praying. You know what I mean? Like other people spotting God in our life is, is a great litmus test. He goes on to say an overwhelming majority of people say they don't feel comfortable speaking about faith most of the time. And he did this survey. And the survey reveals these conflicts. 28% of people said that speaking of faith, religion, creates tension and conflicts and arguments, so they don't want to do it. 17% are put off because religion has become politicised. 
7% are not wanting to appear religious. 6% just don't want to sound weird. And 5% don't want to seem extremist. As Christians in our time, do we feel these pressures around us and within us when we want to speak about God? I can relate to what he's saying here. Do we find ourselves consciously tiptoeing around the truth? Because it's not PC in our politically correct. He goes on to say, whether I spoke to a stranger or a friend, the exchange flowed freely so long as I stuck to small talk. But conversation stalled out the moment the subject turned spiritual. Have you had that experience before? Some words like sin, when I said them, now felt so negative they got stuck in my throat. He says others, like grace, I'd spoken so often I no longer knew what it meant. Interesting. He says many people now avoid spiritual language because they don't like the way it's been used, misused, or abused by others. He says that toothy televangelist keeps using spiritual language to call for donations to buy a second jet. The politician keeps using spiritual language to push unjust legislation. The street preacher keeps using spiritual language to peddle the fear of a fiery hell. And he said they can dominate the conversation because we've stopped speaking about God. And I thought to myself, if I don't convey the difference, am I content to silently be associated in the same way? He goes on to say a paltry 7% of Americans say they talk about spiritual matters regularly, 7%. And practicing Christians who attend church regularly only 13% had a spiritual conversation around once a week. How important is fellowship? How important are house meetings? You know? How important are the words of the Scriptures to be on our lips? And he finishes off by saying, nearly every New Testament author speaks about the power of spiritual speech. And he was using this, this term called God talk which I want to talk about in a minute. Jesus' final command to his disciples was to go into the world and preach his teachings. And then he says something that caught my attention. He said, you cannot be a Christian in a vacuum. And I was like, right on, Jonathan. That I relate to. And I agree with this critical importance because the world that we live in now needs the gospel that we have. Amen? More than ever. But I don't think the world needs more God talk and just semantics. The world needs the truth that they can come to know by the power of God that will make them free. That is what is needed. And there's a ton of commentary out there that you can find online. Theology. And is that what we're called to? No. We're called to something different because we're made different something much more powerful from a different source. And um, I was talking to a sister in Ballarat, and we were both talking about how, you know what, we're not really that kind of bold, go out on the street and preach to the, you know, anything that moves type of character. And she said something that um, I think Pastor Paul Noble might have said this. You might have heard this lots of times, I don't know. But... She reminded us, she said, evangelism is not a strategy, 
It's an overflowing. Have you ever heard that? Okay, maybe you said it a million times and you guys are going, oh, not this again. We've heard it. Anyway, I think it's good, so we're going to borrow it, steal it, and we're going to look at it today. And when we look at this, I don't want us to get fixed on one method of sharing the gospel. I hope everyone here can be inspired. I want a couple of examples that just happened to me that came to mind this morning. And this saying really resonated and struck with me because the article that I read and what she said, I thought, you know what? I have done God talk before. Has anyone else done God talk where it's coming from here? I've got to talk about God, so I'm doing God talk. And I know how it feels. I'm trying really hard. Have you ever, an, a try-hard Christian is the worst kind, right? So how else can I do this thing? And what happens is when I'm doing God talk, and when it's coming from here because I feel obliged to do it, then 28% of me feels like I'm creating tension and arguments. 17% is put off because religions become politicized. 7% percent's not wanting to seem weird, etc. And then I 100% don't do it. And that is all the pressures around that I let work and create a force upon me. But I know when it doesn't feel contrived. I know when the environment around me becomes like, I feel like the world's my oyster. It doesn't stop me speaking. And I find myself not using Christian jargon because I'm speaking from the heart. It's real. I'm excited about it. And it connects with the other person's heart. And that is when it's the overflowing. It's not God talk. It's the overflowing. And when I'm doing that's happening, the overflowing, it's less about what I'm saying and more about where it's coming from, the source. And it's different than God talk. It's really true and it's powerful. It's personal experience. Now, you might be thinking, oh, is he saying we all have to be that really annoying, gushy person who's constantly, you know? And it's not about that. Because when it's from the source of the Holy Ghost, when that's the overflowing that is reaching that person, it's far less about the number of words that I say. It's about the power of them and the relevance of them because the Spirit knows the heart of that person. So I want to remind us about being something we already are and using something that we already have. And that's pretty easy, isn't it, if we've already got it. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. You might be someone who's just received the Holy Spirit, so the thoughts for you today, man, hold, hang on to your hat if you've just received the Holy Ghost because you're going to find out as you walk with God all that he's made you to be. If you haven't yet received the Holy Spirit, God doesn't want you to just come to church. He wants you to be part of his family. He wants you to be his ambassador. He wants you to speak on his behalf, God who created everything. It's a really important role. Acts chapter 1, Jesus himself here says um, in verse 4, being assembled together with them, He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, you've heard of me. So Jesus spoke a lot to his disciples about this. Verse 5, he says, For John truly baptized with water, 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence or soon. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And when that happens, verse 8, you're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world, the earth, everywhere. Now, there's three things he says that are very important here. Is that you will receive the Holy Spirit. Who's received the Holy Spirit here today? Yeah, okay. You will receive. You've received the Holy Spirit. If you haven't, you ask, you will. You will receive it. Because if God doesn't deliver on his promise to you, then God is no longer God. He is not a man that he should lie. He has promised you the Holy Spirit. You ask him sincerely today and you will receive it. Secondly, you will receive power. Who received power when they received the Holy Spirit? Yeah, right? And see, we want the Holy Spirit and we want God's power, don't we? But then the third thing, he says, you will be witnesses to me. And we go, oh, I want the Holy Spirit, I want power, but I don't know if that's really me. And yet Jesus says, no, that's what comes with it. Because you've received power with the Holy Spirit, you will be made a witness. And this is the thing. We cannot be a Christian in a vacuum. I could receive the Holy Spirit, I could receive power, but if I never ever share it in any way, shape or form, I'm trying to be a Christian in a vacuum. I'm trying to put a light under a clay pot. I'm trying to not be a city on a hill so that people can see. It's not something that we talk about. That's God talk. Jesus says we'll be given power, and so we will be witnesses. It's who we are now. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. I want to give you a little example in a moment, 1 Corinthians. Because sometimes we wonder, but what should I say when I'm talking to this person? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul reflects. See, Paul wasn't at the day of Pentecost. He wasn't there in Acts chapter 1. Jesus wasn't speaking to him at that time. But in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says the same stuff. He says, Now, I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And he says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration or manifestation of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, he says the same three things. He says, spirit, power, manifestation. Spirit, power, demonstration. The same three things that Jesus mentions. Now, I'll give you an example. I might have shared this one before. But one day I went for a cycle, um, riding home. It was a warm day, and I thought, I'll just go sit under this tree and have some prayer by the water. And... As I'm sitting there praying, this, this guy walks up, um, up where we're from on the central coast. There's quite a few of these crew around, you know, like same pair of stubby shorts from the 70s and skin-like leather and tats and 
all this sort of stuff, and an older guy. And um, I said to the Lord in my head, okay, if you want me to say something, then you give me the opening. And this guy walks up, and I'd stopped praying by that point. And he said, sort of chatted and said, oh, my name's Ronnie, and told him my name was Peter. And then he said, um, you know, I always say a prayer when I go fishing. I was like, okay, Lord. <laughs> then I went, okay, but what do you want me to say, Lord? So he's talking to me, but I'm talking to the Lord in my mind, going, what do you want me to say? And into my mind comes, Ronnie, God can heal your heart. I thought, that's a really weird thing to say to a guy like this. Anyway, I asked the Lord again, and the same thing, still sitting there. So I said, hey, Ronnie, you know God can heal your heart. And he just broke down and cried. And he told me all this stuff in his life. And I got to share the gospel with him. And he was so ready to hear it. But I never would have, never would have known that by looking at him. And it was a really amazing time. And it made me remember the conversation between God and me. Because I can do that now. I've got the Holy Ghost. Is as important, if not more important, than the one between me and Ronnie. Because God knows what's happening in his heart. And he will give us the words. So sometimes we think, I don't know the words. Ask the words. That's what Jesus did. He said, I speak what my father tells me to say. And we read in the scriptures, never a man spoke like this man. That's you and I, brothers and sisters. Let's keep going. We have a strong focus about getting the Holy Spirit, don't we? And that's not going to change. You need the Holy Spirit. But if we get it, and it's just something we go, tick, I've got it, done, then we're trying to be a Christian in a vacuum because he's given us the Holy Spirit to be purposeful for him. He is the source of who we are now. Jesus, the Spirit of Christ within us, and Jesus has told me I'm going to be a witness. Now let's look at uh, John chapter 4. I'm sure you've never read this scripture before here. John chapter 4. Because when we look at the Holy Spirit as the overflowing, the Holy Spirit overflows into our life. We see Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit in exactly the same way. John chapter 4, and let's start in verse 13. Jesus answered and said to this lady, so he's met this Samaritan woman at a well, non-Jew. And he says to her, whosoever drinks of this water, this water in the well here, shall thirst again. So he's saying this well is a source of temporary refreshment. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall not be just taken in. 
It shall be to him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Today, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the well that springs up to everlasting life for you. There are plenty of other people in this hall who would love to talk to you more about that after the meeting as well. Now, the well means a source or supply, a fountain gushing. Springing up means the water's jumping up, gushing, leaping, overflowing. In John chapter 7, we won't go there, but Jesus in the last day, the day of the feast, great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out. He said, if any man thirst, and here's the thing, Jesus makes this open offer. If you are thirsty in this life, if you feel a thirst in your soul that water taken in through your mouth cannot quench, he said, let him come to me and let him drink. He that believes on me, he says, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And he says, it clarifies and says, he was speaking of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. If you are someone who says, I believe in Jesus Christ, and yet you have not yet received the Holy Spirit, then you need to. Jesus himself said, believers would. Let's see how this works in practice. Matthew 14. Because we're talking about sharing of this well that's been installed within us. Matthew 14. Giving to those who are around about us. You know, when we share the gospel, it's not when there's an outreach on Jesus said, we go into the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. We go into the world every day. Your world is so different to my world. You're in parts of the world I'll never even know. That's your spot. That's your position. That's your, the world that is your oyster. Is the overflowing just scraps? Like, you know, do we take it first and then whatever dribbles out or whatever, do other people get that? Is our ability and to give with generosity, is that restricted unless we are constantly brimming over and gushing over? Let's have a look in this, these verses here, Matthew 14, verse 14. You might have heard this parable, Jesus, well, not a parable, story, true story, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus went forth, verse 14, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. That's how Jesus still feels about us today. He healed their sick. Still open for you today. You can be healed. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place. The time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy for themselves victuals or food. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go anywhere. They need not depart. And then he says to his disciples, you give them to eat. You know, one day I was walking, I used to catch the train from the central coast and then 
walk under Central Station, and every, everyone asks you for money when you're going through there. Every morning I do the same thing. And this one morning I'm running late for work, and I see this guy walking on the other side of the road that was just obviously down and out, obviously. He didn't ask me for money. He wasn't even able to do that, I don't think. And here's me, I'm running along to work, and I saw him and I said, Lord, bless that man. Straight into my head, you know, a thought as clear as a voice, you bless that man. I was like, oh. So I went and talked to him and spoke the gospel to him. You know, yeah, we can forget our purpose sometimes, can't we, because of work, right? I know you've got to go to work. I've got to go to work too. But let's keep reading here. He says, you feed them. And they said to him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes to feed 5,000. And he said, bring them to me. Bring what you have to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the bread and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Let's see the process of how this works here. He blesses it. He gives it to his disciples. They give it out to people. And they did all eat, everyone, and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. Now we can read this story, and we can go, yep, this happened. But when we put ourselves in this story, I want us to do that for a moment. Imagine, you're one of the disciples who are handing out, broken up, five loaves and fishes. That would have been an extremely challenging thing to do, don't you think? Because you know the maths. Five loaves and fishes does not feed 5,000 people. So when did the loaves and fishes multiply? When did that happen? It doesn't say, and the disciples were holding a loaf of bread and it exploded and there was bread everywhere and... It doesn't say that. And this fish grew and grew and grew and, you know, it doesn't say that at all. I believe clearly it multiplied. The miracle happened when they gave it, when they shared it. If you were going to hand those loaves and fishes out, you would have to do it in faith. You would have to be seen with different eyes than the natural ones. You would have to do it at the word of Jesus Christ. He says, bring what you have, bring what little you have to me. I will bless it and I will use that. You see, no one ate the scraps, did they? Why did they document that the scraps were there? The completeness of the miracle. Glory to God. The point of this story for us to grab hold of is with Jesus there will always be more than enough there will always be an overflowing when we're working by the Holy Ghost Jesus has authored this gospel he has blessed it and he said share it testify just like Katie did whether you're up on a stage at your uni graduation in front of I don't know how many hundreds or whether you're a mum 
at childcare centre talking to another mum. It's exactly the same. Both are powerful. Sometimes we focus on our limited resources. Has anyone ever done that? Yeah. I talked about before, but I don't know the words, right? We might go, ah, but my fellowship's too big. Or my fellowship's too small. Or I'm not as young as I used to be. Or I'm too young. It's too hard. The overflowing's got nothing to do with that. And I want to just share another story with you and an example of someone who's not actually from our church who inspired me greatly. I've got a graphic design studio um, with a brother, Dan Frost, and we had a photo shoot on this day, and he was at the shoot, and I was meant to be at the shoot, but I was in the studio. And our landline rang, and that landline hardly ever rings. So I pick it up, and the person doesn't say hello. This lady says to me, quote, Do you know Jesus is the Son of God and the Saviour of this world? I'm like, yes. Yes, I do. And she she says to me, do you know he's coming back soon? I was like, yes, I do. I'm like, this is not our normal sales call, you know? The first scripture she mentioned, Acts 2.38. And I could tell from her voice that she had some form of disability. And we started talking. We started talking scripture. She'd start a scripture and I'd finish it. And she realized we're both people who read the word of God, who believe the word of God. She talked about her difficulties in her life. And she was calling me on her mother's mobile phone because she didn't have a phone, right? She had a disability, which meant she was housebound. And she used the white pages, right? to make five to seven phone calls a day, random numbers, to preach the full gospel to people. Now, there's someone with limited resources. I'm just sitting there going, that's amazing. But here's how it gets even better. She starts talking to me, and we start talking scripture, and she starts talking about things that are happening in her life that are weighing down on her, and I encourage her and use scripture and And she said, you know, the one thing I really want is for my mother, who I live with, to come to know the Lord. And anyway, I start talking to her about that and encouraging. And she says, after like 20 minutes, she goes, what church do you go to? And I told her. And she said, you know what? I'm holding a pamphlet that was given to my mother from your church. Now, if you do the maths of that, Random phone call, five to seven phone calls a day, white pages, all of that. That wasn't your normal style of outreach. That was like reverse phone call outreach or something. I don't know what we call that. But what it really cemented to me is I am never going to look at my limited resources. Instead, I'm going to look at what I have been given. And when I do that and I say, Lord, lead me to a soul today, if that is my prayer, in the morning, God answers that prayer. I just need to pray it more. I'm just going to finish up now. If we think about our roles in the body of Christ, if we think about the way Paul talked to Timothy, he's sending a young man to do what could be a really tricky job, appointing elders and doing all these sort of things. And Paul says to him, it's like the parable of the Coke can. 
right? He says, you don't need a strategy. He didn't actually write those words. But he said, the strategy is shake up the can. Because like a can of Coke, if you shake it up and you give it to your mate and he or she opens it, it, it overflows, right? And it's really funny when we do it to someone else. But he's saying the point, the way to succeed in what is God has called you to do, the needs that are in the body of Christ where you are, is to stir up the gift. Because the overflowing will meet every need. It's not about our ability. It's about our availability. It's about us wanting to go with what the Holy Spirit wants to do here, wherever we are. It's giving, it's serving in love. It's fellowship, it's hospitality. It's The Holy Spirit will overflow into our marriage and our family, ministry, the voice gifts this afternoon. Whoever is using that is going to be using the Holy Ghost. It's by the Spirit. They all come from this one source, the Holy Spirit. So the question sometimes, is there enough? Do I have enough to do what God's called me to do? Is there enough love here to bring someone in here that they will see that we are Jesus Christ's disciples? Are there testimonies demonstrating God's power here? Are there enough of them? Is the truth being preached enough? Yes. There's more than enough. We will never lack because in Matthew 14, with Jesus, when we walk in faith, when we step in faith, when we give out what he has blessed, this gospel, it will fill those that receive it. The need will always be filled and there will be more than enough. Because it's not about what we have or we don't have. It's about the depth of the source of the well to refresh. The consistency of the power to deliver is of the Holy Ghost. And by the, its very nature, the Holy Spirit, you stir up the gift, it'll overflow. If you're new here today, just to finish, in the Scriptures we could think about this parable, Jesus feeds the 5,000. It could be changed to Jesus feeds the 4,999. Because one person could have chosen, I'm not going to eat that bread. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. I'm not going to partake of what's being given out. Don't be that person. Don't be that person today. Come to the Lord. If you are thirsty, come down the prayer line. Just ask him to show you what you should do next. If you haven't been baptized by full immersion, do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus said. Don't go away without the Holy Spirit today. Don't be the one person who went home hungry who would have fallen in the way. You know, the disciples said, you can't send them home now. They're too hungry. They can't make the journey. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't make the journey into eternal life. So today, don't be the one. Don't change that parable to 4,999, Jesus fed everyone. Jesus healed everyone who came to him, the scriptures say. Amen. Leave it there.